there was a fair bit of context to give us clues onto what it might be and how it got there. Join us for another episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects, Stories from Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts and I'm the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're looking at 100 objects from Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area to celebrate a century of our museums and to find out more about the past and how we relate to it now. Today on 100 Years, 100 Objects, we are looking at one of the biggest and heaviest objects we'll be looking at in this series. It features a rather dramatic image on it, and by researching it, archaeologists now know something about the life of someone who lived nearly 2,000 years ago, or at least what they wanted them to know. Our object this episode is the tombstone of a Roman called Insus. Giving an exact size of the tombstone is difficult, as it was broken into pieces during the thousands of years it spent in the ground. However, when reconstructed, it's nearly two metres tall. It's made of a light-coloured sandstone, and the surface texture is quite rough. It's roughly rectangular, with an arched top, and most of the front face is taken up by a striking scene carved in deep relief into the surface. The image shows Insus, a Roman soldier, riding a horse which is rearing up, its hooves in the air. Insus is in full armour, and below the feet of his horse is the headless body of another figure which he has defeated, while Insus clutches the severed head in his hand. Below this violent image is a Latin inscription. We spoke to Dr Stephen Bull, formerly of Lancashire County Museums, and an author of a book on the tombstone, to help us understand this object a little better. To start this fascinating story, Stephen gave us some background on when the tombstone was found, an event he was present for. That was one of the most exciting things that happened in my archaeological life, it was found in November 2005 on the site of the Arla Foods Depot, which is on Aldcliffe Road, down by the river. It was part of a Manchester University dig. There were development proposals, so the Manchester unit had dug through what used to be Arla Foods, and underneath was seen the foundations of what were probably 18th century buildings and then the tombstone was in the bottom of that. But initially it was face down amongst these little brick walls which were now no more than a foot or 18 inches in height and the real excitement was finding the pieces which were not all in exactly the same spot but scattered perhaps across maybe a 10 or 15 yard circumference. We erred on the side of caution and collected I would have thought hundreds of pieces and in the end the main parts of the tombstone were maybe four or five pieces with perhaps 20 more fragments which were really relevant. And, interestingly, a little fragment that suggested there had been another tombstone nearby. That had the inscription OXV on it and the comics amongst us were quickly calling it the OXO cube because the OXV looks suspiciously like a brand name and the conservators discovered that there was this spare piece that just wouldn't fit anywhere. So it was determined that it was in fact part of a separate tombstone. So who knows, they could even find other tombstones in that area. When it was first discovered, you could actually see some sort of pink staining in the letters. And a lot of research, and in fact um, reference to Leicester University amongst others, determined that the lettering had been in a bold red, and very probably other parts of the tombstone itself, the image, could well have been painted. So 
what we didn't know, tantalisingly, what all those colours might have been. So in the accompanying journals and booklets and reports that were produced, uh, there are several slightly different ideas of how it would have looked at the time. But those staining colours are almost never or never seen today because in the intervening 2000 years bright sparks have cleaned them or repainted them or something else has happened which means you don't see that. So to be standing over the thing in the rain and realising that we had limited time to get it into a museum environment and to watch the rain begin to wash <laughs> uh, the red out of the lettering was quite exciting. Um, I always think of the end of Blade Runner but it wasn't quite that dramatic. <laughs> But how were archaeologists able to determine what they had found and how unique a find it was? There was a fair bit of context to give us clues onto what it might be and how it got there because previously a funerary urn had been discovered nearby and we did know that it was the route of the Roman road into Lancaster. So putting that together with what appeared to be a roadside ditch and later on when we discovered what it said on the tombstone, that triangulated it really. We don't know the exact date that the tombstone was made but there is sufficient evidence to pin it down to round about the latter part of the first century AD and some of the reasons we know this are of course because of when the Roman invasion happened and when periods of warfare were going on in the north and northwest of England. It's a huge lump of sandstone weighing about 700 kilograms and it is roughly two meters in height but how you count that height depends on whether you're counting the part of the tombstone which was once under the ground or merely the inscribed part at the top and the inscribed part at the top really is quite exciting because it shows a Roman cavalryman riding somewhere and he has in his hand the cut-off head of his enemy and the enemy is curled up beneath the hooves of the horse. So to me it's one of the most exciting Roman inscriptions or tombstones in Britain. The rider image itself is fairly familiar. Um, a mounted Roman soldier and that being associated with his tomb or possibly with his cenotaph. A cenotaph of course being an empty tomb so they fulfill a very similar function. Uh, but the decapitation of the barbarian is absolutely unique. There are none that have yet been discovered in Germany, where the majority of these things are, nor in Italy, uh, nor even in Greece, which is where we think the original inspiration for tombstones showing horses and people riding horses comes from. One of the best sources of information about Insus is the inscription found below his image. We asked Stephen what it said and what it taught historians about the man it was eulogising. Dismanibus, Insus Vidalus, Civi Treveri, Equus alla Augusta, Victoris Curator, and the last word Domita, or Domitia. To the shades of the dead, Insus son of Vidalus, citizen of the Treveri, cavalryman of the Alla Augusta, troop of Victor, Curator. Domitia, his heir, had this set up. So, Insus Vidalus, which is the name, two part. Two part suggests that he was a non Roman citizen. Roman citizens normally have three parts to their names and Civi Treveri refers to the modern area of Trier in Western Germany which fits with 
where other similar tombstones have been found and also fits with the limited records we have about the movement of Roman units in Britain. Eques is a horseman or a cavalryman. Alla Augusta um, potentially means a unit and an ala was a wing, so it was a wing of Augusta. So Augusta could mean that either it was a valorous wing, an august wing, or it could mean literally that the ala Augusta was just the, the name of the unit. Victoris could mean a winner, a victory, or it could mean that this particular troop of horse was a troop of horse that belonged to an officer called Victor. Incis is described amusingly to me as a curator and a curator in those days in the Roman army had a similar meaning to the word curator today in the sense that he was looking after something. So we might think of him as being a junior quartermaster or a store officer or something like that. Quartermaster sergeant I would say is about as close as you could get in today's money <laughs> and we believe that Domitia was somebody in Incis's family or someone dear to him who set up this tombstone because it's quite normal to put a name, another, a name other than the dead person at the end of an inscription and between them they had a little bit of money because of course otherwise you wouldn't be able to procure an expensive inscription. Stephen went on to tell us about why Incis and his defeated foe were in Britain and what the style and design of the tombstone is meant to convey. The fact that this chap was probably a German tribesman, not uh, a Roman or even an Italian, and that it's a cavalry unit means it's probably an auxiliary unit that was brought into Britain by the Romans. And that is fairly common practice. In the, in the Roman army, we know that there were people from various parts of Europe and included, amongst others, some Ukrainians who were um, the Sarmatians and they also had a significant unit of mounted troops under the Romans in Britain. The enemy is curled up beneath the hooves of the horse. We don't know specifically who the figure depicts but given that the Romans were fighting local tribes, there is a very good chance that this is a member of the Briganti. And given that he is armed, he is some sort of warrior or soldier of the Briganti. Around the upper part of the tombstone, there is oak leaves, which are very interesting in the sense that oak leaves have continued to be a symbol of valour in Germany from the time of the Romans right through to the present. So we can probably interpret that as suggesting that the Roman warrior was valorous. If this is a tombstone, does that mean that Incis was buried underneath it? And what can it allow us to infer about the way he died? Certainly the Romans used tombstones in a similar way to mark a grave. What we don't know about the tombstone of Incis Vitalis is whether his body was actually on that spot, because Cremation urns have been found, which suggests that real bodies were on that site in a cemetery. But excavation around and underneath the tombstone didn't find anything. So it could be that 
it was a tombstone, but his body was cremated and in one of the pots which has been discovered before and since 2005, or it could be simply a monument to him, a cenotaph. We don't actually know that much about his life and death from the stone. It looks as though we are seeing a soldier at the height of his career um, doing valorous things in battle. But what we cannot say for sure is whether Insus was actually still with the Roman army at the point that he died, or indeed that he might even have died in the action depicted, which is possible. It may be that the tombstone was erected after he'd been in the army, after he'd retired and after he'd died. And there's evidence both ways, um, partly because uh, the depiction uh, looks like certain other depictions and partly because he's depicted in such a bloody manner that seems to suggest it was near the time that something specific happened. Um, the evidence the other way is that this is a potentially expensive tombstone and that uh, Roman soldiers were often given a piece of land after their service. So if he had a reasonably successful military career, retired to a piece of land with Domitia and that piece of land did well, then there is a chance that that's where the money came from to have such a splendid tombstone. Just before he left us, Stephen told us a little bit more about the people involved with, but not depicted on, the stone, the craftsman who made it. He also let us know where you can find out more. The material itself is sandstone. At the time that this was discovered, there were two very distinctive points of view. One of them was that Rome, or uh, specific centres of excellence, as it were, in tombstone making, did all the work and the stone was moved to Lancaster. And the other one was that it's much easier to move a man and a chisel than it is to move 700 kilograms of rock. So there really was no other way other than to consult geologists. So we did that and it was discovered that the rock came from within 10 miles of Lancaster. So this expert came to Lancashire and knocked up two or three <laughs> um, and they did it in a business-like and cost-effective manner. The most interesting parallel in Lancashire is the one from Ribchester because there was a high chance that the same sculptor, the same mason, had made both figures because the horses were so similar and the degree of detail on the figure was similar. One of the most obvious sources is Romans inscriptions in Britain and I would also look at the work of Paul Holder who's done a lot on the Roman army, Professor David Schotter who sadly is no longer with us, he did an awful lot of work on several different aspects of the Roman Empire and my own little effort, Triumphant Rider, the Lancaster Roman Cavalry Tombstone. Thank you for riding through history with us in this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. You can also chase down our other episodes where we chat about everything from plates to prisoners of war.